or just about to end, it seems. If you look up list of dates predicted for apocalyptic events on Wikipedia, and who wouldn't, (laughs) you will find that according to historical records, the end was predicted to happen 11 times in the first millennium, seven times in the 11th to the 15th centuries, 13 times in the 16th century alone, including one prediction by our own ancestor, Michael Servetus, later martyred for his Unitarian theology. Michael Servetus apparently claimed that the devil began his reign in 325 with the Council of Nicaea and would reign for 1,260 years, a number found in the Revelation to John in the Christian scriptures. Thus, he calculated the world would end in 1585. The world was to end 19 times in the 17th century, which included a couple different predictions by Christopher Columbus and another by the well-known minister involved in the Salem witch trials, Cotton Mather, who would revise his apocalyptic estimate twice spilling over into the 18th century as the years initially designated came and went without event at least without event on the scale predicted. Thirteen times in the 18th century, 17 times in the 19th century, including a prediction by John Wesley, founder of the Methodist Church, who looked forward to welcoming Christ's return in 1836. Seventy-six times in the 20th century. Remember Y2K? 21 predictions for the 21st century that should have already happened. And, of course, a great number of world-ending scenarios that are predicted for the near and distant future. The predictions listed on this page in Wikipedia come primarily from religious figures and groups and interpretations of sacred texts and mythologies, though increasingly, as we move into the 20th century, and most especially into the 21st, there is a growing sense in secular and scientific circles and in the world at large that we may be reaching, in the words of the REM song, the end of the world as we know it. Weapons of mass destruction, ongoing environmental devastation, the climate crisis, the so far unregulated rise of artificial intelligence, and a host of other interrelated challenges have made dystopian and post-apocalyptic fiction in books, films, and TV series an enormous and still-growing market. As folks look not so much for escape as possibly for manuals on how to survive whatever is coming. We may not have specific dates or years like some of those more precise predictions in the past, but the end can sometimes feel close, right? I get that, and I'm not saying that it is not reasonable to imagine world-ending sorts of events. But I also just want to return to that list for a moment. The end of the world has been expected throughout human history and undoubtedly more times than this Wikipedia list 
captures. Now I can plead for the especially dire circumstances we are facing in the present time, but I also have to realize just how hard it is for me to take the long view, to gain perspective beyond the short amount of time that I get to be here. One of the things that struck me as I read through this list was that the end was almost always predicted within the lifespans of the person or people who were doing the predicting. People hundreds of years apart reading the same scriptures, sometimes the very same text, somehow concluded that the end prophesied in this ancient text was clearly set to happen within their respective lifetimes, out of all of human history. It is hard for me, it is hard for me, and maybe hard for humans, though there are clear cultural differences. As we heard from Mona Tucker, who spoke of her people living in this area for 10,000 years and looking ahead generations as they seek to protect some of that land. So I will say it is hard for me to step outside of myself and my lifetime and take a longer view. And this is more than just a mind game because my inability to take a longer view affects how I move in the world. If I continue to hold on to the notion that everything important needs to happen within this little, infinitesimally small, tiny sliver of human history that is my lifetime, Well, that has profound effects on my work to find, create, and share more love, more peace, more justice. If I require clear and undeniable proof that my actions have made a difference, clear and undeniable proof that my resistance against the powers of destruction, devastation, dehumanization, and degradation has changed things, clear and unretractable proof that our resistance will win the day soon. If I want to see those results in my lifetime, well, then I can easily give up after many disappointments and just sit back and await the end of the world either as a cosmic event that will rescue humanity from itself or a cataclysmic one that will be the natural consequence of our actions as a species. If I require proof of the positive impacts of my acts of resistance in my lifetime, I run the risk of concluding that resistance is futile. But what if? What if I didn't think of resistance as futile, but rather as fertile? What if I imagined our acts of resistance against the powers and structures of evil as fertilizing the common ground from which new possibilities for a beloved community may grow in generations to come, far beyond my sight and even beyond my imagining? Think of all those people and communities and movements from the past that inspire us today. 
Many of those people lived and died without getting to see the fruits of their labors, certainly without knowing the inspiration they would provide to future generations. There were the names we remember and the countless nameless individuals who nevertheless inspire us not with their celebrity, but with their courage and dedication and persistence against the odds. The labor movement, the women's movement, the civil rights movement, the American Indian movement, the LGBTQ plus movement, the peace movement, the disability movement, the movements across time raising up the inherent worth and dignity of all. Think of Martin Luther King Jr. saying, I have seen the mountaintop. I may not get there with you. He didn't. We haven't arrived yet. So are we going to stop now? Are we going to pack it in because it's the middle of the night? Because it's hard to find our way? Because it feels hopeless? Inspired by a passage from the book of Deuteronomy in the Jewish scriptures, Peter Rabel writes, We build on foundations we did not lay. We warm ourselves by fires we did not light. We sit in the shade of trees we did not plant. We drink from wells we did not dig. We profit from persons we did not know. This is as it should be. Together we are more than any one person could be. Together we can build across the generations. Together we can renew our hope and faith in the life that is yet to unfold. Together we can heed the call to a ministry of care and justice. We are ever bound in community, he writes. May it always be so. We are ever bound in community, and that community stretches across generations. I don't know anything about the end of the world. I don't know if it will happen soon or in billions of years or ever. I know it's not happening now. So the question remains, how then shall I live? There are no guarantees in this life. I would love to believe in the tortoise. Would love to believe that slow and steady and humble and compassionate wins the race every time, but it doesn't appear to be true. On the other hand, maybe it depends on what you imagine the race to be or what winning is. Or maybe it's a race that stretches across generations, across the whole of human history The lesson in this version we heard today, hard work and perseverance brings reward, seems a safer bet, though again, we may sometimes need to take a longer view on when that reward appears. There's a familiar quotation from Martin Luther King Jr. that encourages that longer view. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. 
However, even that seems to guarantee a particular outcome. President Obama worried that we might put all the responsibility in the universe's hands and thus become complacent or disempowered, said, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. But here's the thing. It does not bend on its own. It bends because each of us in our own ways put our hand on that arc and we bend it in the direction of justice because we organize and we mobilize, we march, we vote. So let's each do our part to bend that arc. Let's bend it towards justice. Let's bend that arc towards opportunity. Let's bend that arc towards prosperity for all. What I have come to believe <laughs> is that I know as much about the arc of the moral universe as I do about when the world will end. Interestingly, this arc of the universe quote originated with Unitarian minister Theodore Parker, who lived from 1810 to 1860. What his original version lacks in elegance it makes up for, I think, in humble hesitation. I do not pretend to understand the moral universe. The ark is a long one. My eye reaches but little ways. I cannot calculate the curve and complete the figure by the experience of sight. I can divine it by conscience. And from what I see, I am sure it bends towards justice. There's a part of me that feels that we need to reclaim the humble spirit, even the uncertainty of Parker's statement. <clears throat> if we are to persist and rejoice in the work of resistance to hatred, greed, the ravaging of the earth, and the continuing exploitation of the most vulnerable. That maybe we should not pretend to understand the moral universe and still we resist. We cannot calculate the curve and complete the figure by the experience of sight and still we resist. From what we see, from what we feel, from what we can comprehend, from what we can divine by our conscience, even in the face of all we don't know, still we resist. And I don't want to lose this. There's another piece as to why we resist that was contained in the reading and in the prelude. Yeah, the Borg. Back to Star Trek. The Borg are cybernetic organisms, cyborgs, linked in a hive mind called the collective, and they transform individuals into drones that will serve their purpose with the message, we are the Borg. Lower your shields and surrender your ships. Your culture will adapt to service us. Resistance is futile. But we resist. We refuse to become drones controlled by forces that exploit, persecute, and oppress society's most vulnerable members. 
We hold on to our highest aspirations, bringing our gifts of love and service to the altar of humanity to work toward collective liberation without any clear guarantees of the outcome of our work, hoping that our resistance nourishes the soil for what may grow well beyond our time, knowing that our resistance nurtures spiritual growth within each of us. When I first read that story about A.J. Musty, it sent a shiver down my spine. And I think it was appropriate that there was a, a pause between the question and the answer in the reading. Because I read the question, do you really think you are going to change the policies of this country by standing out here alone at night in front of the White House with a candle? I read that question and I thought, oh no, is he going to respond with some platitude about how every action counts and that a small group is the only thing that's ever changed the world, blah, 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 (laughs) stuff that I preach from the pulpit. I mean, really, when it's just him out there, how is he going to answer? Oh, I don't do this to change the country. I do this so the country won't change me. Wow. I resist in part so that I can hold on to the person that I wish to be. So that I can continue to respond to the world with compassion. And when I heard that offertory across the universe. And I thought of that line, nothing's going to change my world. That's what A.J. Musty was saying. Nothing's going to change the way I want to respond to the world. I don't know that anything I do will change the Borg, but I know that I can resist becoming the Borg. I don't know that anything I do will change the harmful policies in the country, but I want to make sure they don't change me to be apathetic, to be cynical, to be make excuses for things that cannot stand. Because I do believe there is more peace, more justice, more love somewhere. And I'm going to keep on till I find it, along with all of you.